0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Bournemouthians, people of Bournemouth and the surrounding environs, the Football Ramble are playing in your town tonight, Thursday,
3: 10th of October. Come and see us. It's going to be a right giggle. RambleLive.com das von wieder mal mehr als nur ein Gegentor erhält wir können weit zurückblicken die Chance für Wang
0: Wang und das ist der Triple Pack
3: Roland so, you, um, you don't always get the opportunity to talk about a Norwegian player let no. alone come back into the studio
2: and say you were right about the big, the big Erling Haaland. But, but certainly coming back and saying that I was right about something isn't something that happens to me often. When did so you that's... call it, last? This is what I want to know. Was, not, it, was not... it when he was a toddler? Is Yeah, when he was born. No. I think the first time you really started noticing him was when he was still playing for Molde and they went away to Bergen, who were doing quite well and they had quite a solid result. And he was still a teenager and he just tore them to bits. I and mean, he's still really inconsistent then. But you saw like one game what this guy could actually do. And the thing people forget about him, they look at him and he's this monster, this sort of man. He's still a teenager now though, isn't he? Yeah, but like he physically he's such a unit. But he wasn't when he was coming through, like when he made his debut. He was quite gangly and he just put on so much muscle in a very short space of time. Uh, but, but one of the things that it's mean the, oh the Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. yeah I guess I mean you which, what, which initially one, worked at United and then the, wore off very it quickly. It was one <laughs> of those things where like because he's from the, the he grew up in the village I grew up in and he went up to molda and people were saying what are they eating up there like what's happening to him because yeah. he became so big. But often, what is we, the cuisine in Molder? often a well, uh, fish I would imagine it's uh-huh. on it's on the coast. But as um, often when you see young players who are really physically big and strong, you assume they've gotten ahead just from bullying opponents, right? Yeah. But the thing is, he didn't yeah. do that. When he was learning the game, he was quite gangly, so he had to learn to move, he had to learn how to find space, he had to learn how to turn defenders and not get caught up in challenges too much. So when you see him play now, he doesn't actually use his physique as much as he does. He could do. I mean, it's more about the running and getting into channels and stuff. Mm.
3: But Lars, this isn't about Erling Hall and this is about you.
2: Well, that's true. i being right. I did Aren't call you him, from around the same kind of part of Norway? I'm, he said from, I'm, I'm, they grew
3: up in the same village. I'm you just already, said that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. Well, he was more famously born in England, but he grew up in in Bruna, which is a town of I think ten, twelve thousand 12,000 people. It's a pretty small place. Describe. Well, it's quite rural and agrarian. Like Historically, there's a lot of farming. So I'm sure people have noticed that he did that one post-match interview where he was a bit sullen. And it didn't say many things. And I think he was, he was taking a mick a little bit in that one. But in general, he's not a guy who enjoys talking to the media because people, I mean, regional stereotypes are an iffy business to begin with. But people from Brune, from Jaren, from that part of Norway are generally people who sort of work hard and don't speak unless spoken to. And even, <laughs> they, even then they're reluctant to say much. Sounds like James. Quite quiet, sort of hardworking guys who get up really early to milk the cows and this sort of stuff. Because mm. um, there's a farming area and it's really good soil but it's like as kind of a lot of rocks come up from the ground okay. so like every year you have to pick a bunch of rocks out of the ground uh, so you have to be like quite hardy, and Did it's like
3: Erling Haaland start playing football with a rock.
2: Then Is that what but, no, but when you look at him now, he could definitely pick some rocks out of the ground. Yeah. But he had another sort of I wouldn't call it a run-in but he he explained to the Norwegian press. I think it was after the Liverpool game, getting a bit tired of it all. That they're quite good at screening me from the press in the club, and I hope that they do more of that going forward. And oh, really? screening yeah, from it, the it, press sounds yeah, like a tactical it, it, it'll be, it'll be, be difficult, fair. but we'll try. I want to be protected more from the press. And he was asked by by the reporter why, and he said. It's really boring. I'm bored right now. <laughs> wow. Such and, and the follow up question is how how, he's how, a teenager how, he's how how tired are you? How, how bored are you with standing here? And he replies from a scale from one to 10, 9.9. Really?
1: <laughs> he's a teenager and he's
2: already jaded by the press. But, but, but at the same time, the notorious Norwegian
1: press. At the same time, <laughs>
2: you have this young guy who suddenly becomes almost globally famous. I think in the age of social media, you've got videos of him going around the world. And he doesn't like that attention and he seems to more just want to get to work and train and play the next game. I don't think that's necessarily a bad attitude to have. Well, I, he's going to have to learn to deal with it. Yeah, it? absolutely. But he was, he kept, he was asked again uh, about... Because he mentioned Olga Gunnar Solskjaer being a big, a big influence. And one of the press, is a very leading question, the press asked him if Solskjaer has taught him how to analyse opponents from the bench. <laughs> 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 as far as leading questions go. And... Um, and 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 yeah, and they asked him how how has he taught you this, and he just replied, no, well, just like you said. And I was like, can you put your own words on it? And I was like, no, because because you've put words on it. So, so, so but what has I taught you? Well, you just said what he's taught me, right? <laughs> and it was just a sort of not getting anywhere with him at all. <laughs> and you only- should do a ramble meets with him,
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> with Erling Haaland.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm That'd sure. I'm sure he's really interesting. I'm just i i guess if you're not used to talking to the media all the time and you don't really see it as your job i mean his, his job is working out and keeping fit and scoring goals. I'm, I'm
3: quite i'm quite captivated by the scandinavian way of life i have to say so i think i would find it interesting and hopefully I'll. are you captivated would, by it. I am.
2: he clearly wouldn't though. this no. is the well, but, issue but, but luke you're quite an extrovert i mean i think you'd be shunned where i come from
3: i probably would yeah <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm shunned most places i go to <laughs> exactly, lives, yeah exactly. including this studio <laughs> yeah. so it's not a huge surprise yeah. Um, the the curtain closer the curtain the curtain downer of League Liga weekend last weekend is that a phrase curtain downer? what's Don't it? think so. You've just coined it though. Yeah, yeah I'll take it. Um, was uh, a game that our friend Andy Brusser was desperate to talk about, but he couldn't muster today. He's doing something else. So um, it's it's you guys. Uh, so is, Etienne- is he
1: actually? interviewing for the Leon job. Is this what Andy's doing? I, I wouldn't what, put it past him.
3: I saw him hobnobbing with the CEO of the Bundesliga the other day. Right, okay. So it could well be. Yeah. Could yeah. Well be. Really, really he, bad news for Memphis if he's going to yeah. Leon. I think. <laughs> he moves in exalted circles. Oh, he does. But St. Etienne beat Leon 1-0 in the big derby of the weekend. Like I say, the curtain downer mm. of Sunday night. And it was Cla- uh, Claude Puel's first game in charge and it contained a last-minute winner as well. Um, what did you guys make of the game? First well, of all,
1: it's quite interesting. I, I thought the uh, first half, uh, Saint-Étienne were in control, had the better chances. There were a few chances, yeah, uh, but they didn't make the breakthrough. And you could see final 10-15 minutes, Leon kind of started to open up, believe. And they had two really good opportunities, which they didn't take advantage of. Uh, and the game got stretched. And uh, and Saint Etienne were able to kind of take advantage and and get the winner right at the end. And when it comes to winning derby matches, I don't think there's any better way to win them than last minute, um, where your opponent just can't come back. But uh, yeah, I mean, for Claude Puel, quite amazing, really, given how yeah he is obviously so closely associated with uh, with Lyon, and in some respects could be conceived as being quite popular among Saint-Étienne fans in that he was the guy who ended Lyon's seven-year dominance at the top of the French League. Mm. He was the one who lost the first derby in this in, in, in this rivalry for 16 years as Lyon manager. Mm. So he's done everything already <laughs> to, prepare the ground. to ingratiate himself <laughs> yeah. um, to uh, did, did he celebrate the
3: winner in a big way? Uh,
1: pff, I mean, he celebrated, but I I, I wouldn't say... He, he He didn't play it down. Um, yeah, we've seen in this fixture um, players really kind of play to the gallery, famously with Nabil Fakir yeah. uh, holding up holding up the shirt. Um, but yeah, again... Um,
2: I do yeah. think if it had played it down, like you're taking over Saint-Étienne as a former Lyon manager and you win the derby in your it's first game luck, yeah. and you play it down, like that's not the way to ingratiate yourself. I think you're already ultimately,
1: like- this this couldn't be a, a better way of uh, of him coming in and introducing himself to Saint-Étienne fans um who are suspicious of him mm. you know, if you in your first game beat the team that you 're most associated with then that's a, that's a that 's getting off on the right foot mm. I would say.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. Lars, I said last week, there's a lot to like about this on Etienne team. People who maybe don't watch a lot of French football will know, know, no doubt still see players in that team they recognise, they know what type of players they are. And so they could... It's because it's the France 2012 team. Basically, well, it I mean, is exactly Euro 2012. What it is yeah. is
2: they have a mix of experienced players who'd maybe lost their way in, in various ways and, and some young up-and-coming players. And I think that, that's an interesting ingredient. They players who
1: lost their way in the northeast of England. Sort yeah, of, you know? yeah, yeah, Jan and Vila in particular.
2: <laughs> yeah and and Nabi, Wabi Kazri Sunderland legend yeah. Wabi Kazri
3: and Claude Claude can um, relate to that because he lost
2: his way in the East Midlands but, <laughs> hey, but Riyad Boudébouz I think is a really uh, frustrating but interesting player I mean he failed in Spain mostly but on, on when he's on his game he's very very good and there, there's a lot to there's a lot to take from here but I think if they can get a sort of defensive platform to build from and we know Claude Puel can do that and uh, this could be a really interesting team I mean it's interesting that he's taken it well, given that you know, the Monaco job could be up at some point. The Nice job maybe could be a bit available at some point. I mean, he could kind of, he had the chance of waiting around and waiting for something a little bit bigger. So it's interesting that he's gone there. And I think, listen, because of how, I think how dour, dour his spells at uh, Southampton and Leicester were, a lot of people in this country might take a bit of a dim view of him. But if you go through his CV, like he's done really well as a manager. And uh, perhaps, I wonder if, in this country in England maybe we emphasise too much whether you say like wild and exciting things in press conferences or not. yeah I think but that was uh, certainly a criticism leveled at him in this d- country do you think Erling d- Haaland would play really well <laughs> <on> <laughs> yeah. <when> he goes <laughs> almost so far it becomes amusing but no but I spoke to one of these yeah, insiders in the game who, who argued that in England like how you come across uh, personally is, is more important than in other countries and and there, there have been studies to suggest that the English media is more focused on the individual than the media in other countries oh
3: we've seen we've seen managers in the past come you know, come to England and be surprised right? they're not being asked about tactics yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. being asked about the games themselves as, as often was it yeah. Benitez who sort of expressed surprise at that at the start Yeah, but certainly someone did well, um, well, so well that's, I mean, that's certainly the case the
2: comparison to Italy is when Mourinho went from England to Italy he kept complaining that in this country everyone's a coach yeah <laughs> (laughs) Because you know they they wanted to talk about a lot of the methodology, but I wonder in France. I think the fact that he's a little bit sort of a little bit quiet and uh, Mm. whispering Claude, and it's not maybe that's not not such a problem.
3: Yeah, Um, Saint Etienne. Though I mean, you said that the the jobs that potentially Puel could have gone to, possibly could have gone to the Leon job. No, could have gone back to Leon. I mean, I mean presumably they're going to change manager at some point because they're having a terrible time of it.
1: Oh, well, they have. They are. Yeah. I mean, silvino has got the chop. And yeah. they're currently uh, interviewing.
3: Oh, that's happened since I've, since. Okay, yeah, I didn't has, I, I, I'll check that. It okay, has, has gone now. Yeah. Cool. So who, who's um, who's lined up? Well,
1: I mean, you've got uh, Janino, who's had to make this very painful decision to basically cut the guy who he brought in and said, you know, Silvino is is very much the future of this club. He's got hmm. a lot of potential, hasn't worked out at all. And Jean-Michel Aulas, the president, who um, has kind of said, oh, look, I'm going to take a step back this year has had to, again, kind of come back in and say, right, I need to take a little bit of control. Um, and it's interesting because I think Janino would like to bring in uh, Jorge Sampaoli, who's currently at uh, Santos. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, but Sampaoli, um, as I mentioned, is on the contract. And to get him out of that contract, it would cost, I think, €2 million, Euro, um, which I think they're reluctant to spend. And also after the experience of having um, Silvino... I think Leon now are looking at someone who knows the league, speaks the language, which was a which was an issue for Silvino. Mm. Um, and so the very much the favorite at this moment is Laurent Blanc. Um, and Blanc is due to speak, I think with our last today. Um, and in some respects, the talks will depend on uh, the rivalry between Lyon and Saint Etienne, hmm. um, because he wants to bring his kind of long-standing assistant Gassé, with him. gasse who'd kind of broken out onto his own and was the former coach of of Saint Etienne, but um, I think he's still under contract with them, even though he was he was he was fired. So that means that kind of Lyon have to go to the go to Saint Etienne and say, by the way, if you know. The guy we want as our manager kind of needs your ex manager as his number two. Can we do a deal here?
2: God, it's like succession. Yeah. (laughs) It's like like, the plot thickens. Don't, don't, I've only just started succession. Yeah, I'm only a season in. Don't
3: Don't worry, I'm only a season in myself. It's interesting with Blanc because,
1: you know, he's been linked with so many kind of big ish jobs over the last, since uh, he got the sack at PSG without getting any of them um, has always been in the frame I think he was put in the frame for the Chelsea job the United job he's been to watch United um, when when that job was um, kind of potentially going to be available um, I'll
3: tell you what, James, I would do that if I was a manager. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I'd just, I run just run buy a ticket, just yeah. turn
2: up, yeah. just stretch out a bit. I, I also, if I was a player on deadline day, I'd just take private jets all over the place <laughs> and just, to, yeah. just to see what people Also,
1: let, up on. let's not forget that PSG fired Blanc um, after, shortly after giving him a, a new contract, and a lucrative new contract is that, because all the contracts that PSG give out <laughs> are lucrative. <laughs> yeah. And I think his payout was something like €22 million. Euros. Wow. So. Hey, You know, I mean, he's he's bad. been playing golf for yeah. the last three years, um, probably with Gareth
2: Bale. Um, <laughs> and but, but now he might actually get into a job again. But isn't that an interesting window into so the realities of Ligue 1? That Lyon, who are, in terms of funding, are probably the second best funded team in the league, mm. are sort of balking at the idea of paying 2 million to get Sampaoli over, whereas PSG paid 22 to sack a guy.
1: Well, I, I do think it also comes down to... Um, Alas, thinking actually, Janino, you had complete autonomy when it came to appointing yeah. Silvino.
3: and you took a lovely free kick in your day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I trust you. I think you're great. Yeah, but I think I, I want to have a say
2: in this as well. Yeah, and are you it's saying it's, that appointing a manager requires a different skill set than lamping in a free kick from 35? Well, years. I mean, <laughs> it's <laughs> very similar in many ways. Yeah, you know, <laughs> to just line up your candidate. In some
1: respects, it'd be just him. great if Janino, you know, actually decided. Bah,
2: I'm gonna become the manager. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna step
1: down yeah. and then you know
3: sub myself on, take free kicks, go a free kick, boom. So you think Blanc is the is the man? But I mean, cause there's been talk of Arsene Wenger as well, is there not?
1: Yeah, I think you know Wenger clearly wants to get back into into the game. I think has had offers. He's taken um, a job,
3: some kind of weird job at FIFA, has not he, or something at the moment? Or is it that, has has that just
1: been speculated? I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't really followed that. Yeah,
3: he's been linked with that, I think. But
1: yeah. um, I think yeah, he clearly wants to to get back into the game. He doesn't feel like he's done. Um, so yeah, that would be an interesting job for him because in some respects the Leon model is quite similar to, to, to Arsenal's or what Arsenal's has been in that they are very um, uh, keen on developing talent from the area and, and bringing through young players from their academy they're, they're, they're a team that I can you know for want of a better word um, I wouldn't say stand against the financial doping of uh, mm. Paris Saint-Germain mm. um, because they were accused of that themselves when they were what um uh, winning the league 7 years in 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 a row but i think Blanc is very much the the man who is is the favorite as we record um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was to if he was to be in the dugout once the uh, international break is over.
3: Ερχεται
0: one τραγικό λάθος with the to να and και να εδω εδώ 1-1 το σκορ καθώς η έξοδος του 300.
3: It's looking very, very uh tight at the top of the Bundesliga. And one team that caught my eye tight this weekend. Yeah, yeah, tight. It's tight. It's or as they say in Northern Ireland, it's nice and fucking tight. <laughs>
2: Are we doing swears <laughs> on this one then? Yeah,
3: do you swear if you want. Do a swear if you want, mate. Fuck it. <laughs> um, What's well, Freiburg? Freiburg sit fourth in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Their manager, Christian Strike, is an interesting character as well. Um, Lars, would what
2: you, would you say he's a striking character?
3: I will, actually. yeah. yeah. yeah we'll say. He, I've read an inter- interesting interview with him this
2: week. Um, Lars, what have you made of Freiburg's early starts of the season? Well, they're doing tremendously well, and they're one of these fascinating clubs who just consistently punch above their weight. Uh, a couple of intriguing things about them: they don't, they keep their managers. I mean, they're a club who don't freak out when things go wrong. They've had four managers since 1991, which is pretty unbelievable when you think about it. That's yeah, crazy. Uh, Christian Streich has been there for almost eight years now, and uh, it's one of those. It's from um, I mentioned my sort of upbringing in you know, a sort of a hardworking agrarian part of Norway. I mean, there are some comparisons to Southern Germany. Mm. I mean, they're more extroverts, but they're they're a part of the world. Would Luke fit in there? Probably more so, I'd say. Yep. They're more, more yeah. jovial, but you, you read, yeah. um, I mean, they're hardworking and it's a, a farming up and down the hills. Should so. we make this a thing? Places around <laughs> Europe that <you know, laughs> I would or wouldn't fit in. So that part of Norway, no. No. Southwestern Germany,
3: so far, the yes. So. Yeah, a tentative so. yes. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I think so. Will Christian Strike find a lot to like about me? I, I'd say it was, is that a stretch I mean, is that well, stretch? I mean
2: I couldn't say it also depends on what kind of behaviour you're on uh, yeah. but there are a club who, who make a lot out of not that much I mean budget wise they're well in the lower half uh, like 14th or something in the league in terms of the yeah. budget they're operating on and like in the in the 8 years where Strike has been there they've spent something like a total of 70 million on players over 8 years so there's less than 10 million a year and, they on, and that's they, that's not net that's just the money they've spent in mm. total they're, they will have brought in more than that I'm sure and, uh, and last, they
3: spent a season in the second, thing that they were relegated. Yeah, they on will the get
2: relegated, and that's an interesting they, thing. Is that they, they came straight back Like again, I said, they? they don't freak out and sack the manager. They said, "All right, well, we will keep going and we'll keep working." Uh, it, it's interesting that he he explained uh, recently in, in, in interviews like that uh, when he looks at when they look at players, um, they look at things outside of the football pitch. I and mean, what he said is that we need hungry and socially competent boys that are crazy about football, you can forget all We've the We've got other, a chance. You yeah. can forget all the <laughs> other things. We've got a chance. Yeah. When a player has that, he can also have a few other minuses. He'll still be in the right place in, in Freiburg. So it's about getting good eggs in, basically. Mm. Which I guess if you're operating on a tight budget and you can't afford to get many things wrong.
3: Yeah, well, you know, that's really that's a really underplayed part of uh, professional sport, I think. I don't know if you guys have read the... the, the um I forget the name of the guy who wrote it now, James. Someone. It's a book called Legacy about the All Blacks. Okay, and he and he talks a lot about how there are several brilliant New Zealand rugby players who've never really had a look in at All Black level because they're just a bit of a dick. Yeah, but this no the rule is like no dickheads. Better people make better players.
2: Well, I should, by the way, I've I've kind of buried the lead about Slay. I think the most interesting thing about him, I guess, is that he's quite like politically uh, outspoken, like he has a social conscience. He he's very big on 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 immigrants, on integrating immigrants into society. I mean, he once talked about how there's uh, there's no pressure for managers, I and mean, pressure is fearing for your life so much you put yourself and your kids in a boat across the Mediterranean. Yeah. he I mean, he he has thoughts outside of of formations and training. Um, he's I believe he's the son of a butcher or something, and he's quite big on using like. Don't don't buy battery farmed chicken and like get, get <laughs> the good meats. Surprised he gets uh, any football done. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but but no, he's a good he's Luke. A good guy. You were, you were
1: mentioning about uh, about culture and uh, and how important that kind of having the right environment um, in which yeah, you. Yeah, who you basically introduce, bring into that environment and keeping yeah. keeping it intact for so, so long. You know, he he dropped their kind of veteran goal scorer, what Niels Pedersen, and brought in the wonderfully named Gianluca Waldschmidt.
3: Oh, Waldschmidt yeah. Um
1: and and yeah, he was praising Pedersen for how he trained, even though he'd basically been told, Yeah, you know, we we can't yeah, Smith's Paul well, Schmidt's in such good form. Yeah. We're going we're going to have to keep leaving you out, sorry. Like, he trained like a young god.
3: Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> that was in the interview, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So he's obviously he's obviously generated a culture there. Yeah. They've started the season very well. They picked up a a dramatic draw against Dortmund who are much fancied this this season. Yeah.
2: Who who keep messing it up late in games. I mean, it's just on Luca, with Gianluca Waldschmidt. I mean, Freiburg famously in the Black Forest, right? Down there that part yeah. of the world. So Wald Mm. is German for forest mm. and Schmidt comes from blacksmith yeah. so is it not very appropriate that you have a guy called Luca Waldschmidt who is very much hammering them in in the black forest at oh, the moment? I like it like <laughs>
3: nominative determinism <laughs> that is great Boom. yeah great Love stuff well, what do you think is going wrong with Dortmund then you mentioned there they keep messing it up
2: late. Yeah, you they, th- they make a lot of weird mistakes uh and you could last season, you looked at their backline and say you got like Diallo and Kanji, and they're they're quite young and inexperienced and, and this sort of thing. Matt Hummels back there, like, like Witzel and Delaney in midfield are are seasoned campaigners. So it's it's kind of hard to explain why why it's going wrong for them that often in terms of just individual mistakes and throwing away games like that. But but, but certainly, I think people are getting a little bit a bit antsy and frustrated because again, it seems a bit like last season. With Bayern being as vulnerable as they are and more vulnerable than they tend to be and perhaps more vulnerable than they will be in a couple of years when they've sort of retooled the squad, you've got to feel if you're Dortmund that this is a year where you have a great chance to win the league and when you keep throwing away points late in game games against teams you should be beating. That, that's not good for the manager.
1: But this is the disappointing thing. I mean, it happens year on year in that. Uh, remember, even on the Peter Bosch, they started really, really well. And yeah, you know, Bayern sacked Cancelotti, and you thought, "Wow, they've got a real opportunity here," mm. and they didn't take it.
2: But the but- difference is, of course, Peter Bosch was, perhaps, like demonstratively a, a wrong fit for that group of players and that team at that time. Um, I'm a big fan of of, of the Bosch life but it, it wasn't the place for him to be Bosch but when you look at just the way Favre's teams have played over the years and the team the players he has it seems like a really good fit in theory so it's kind of odd that it's not working but it reportedly there has been some discontentment in Dortmund about just his attitude like the, the idea that he's not right really ready to fully take the bull by the horns and go out and say we're going to win the league this season that he's quite a sort of in a very dodgeball kind well, of well he's quite league. a yeah he's quite just a calm guy and like again in the spring when it was unraveling and and Bayern was sort of gradually hunting them down like zombies behind them in the yeah. league
3: there was uh, a he, sense of inevitability about that
2: yeah there? and he's he's sort of calm uh, this sort of scholarly demeanor was not perhaps what they felt in the club was needed and it's really interesting that they decided to bring in Mats Hummels who's quite an outspoken guy to maybe bring a bit more leadership to the group. Be the general.
3: Yeah. Now, Lars, you mentioned uh, Thomas Delaney there. I've never heard him speak, but as a man who's called Thomas Delaney and is from Denmark, do you think he's going to he he speak English just like you do? No,
2: but it's something like his grandfather is from America or something. So I think oh. he's he will. I don't think there's any Irish in there. I might be wrong. So he's not got an Irish lilt to his accent? I, no, I don't know. Not that I know of. I think he's just Danish. Um, and, and also, you mentioned Bayern Munich. Something else that caught my eye
3: this morning, just this morning, that Thomas Muller is going to. Um, Request a transfer in January, and he's obviously instantly been linked with Man United. Is there is <laughs> is there is there a more Man United transfer in 2019 than Thomas Müller? Well, this is the thing. It'd be, it'd a, be about seven hundred grand a week. This <laughs> the thing. Do it's, nothing.
2: It, it's a Man United 2015 signing, right? And yeah, because they've done, we've had this, this is what I don't care, let's not talk about Man United, because this is on the continent. Hmm. But we had a full summer of them talking about, yeah, no, we want young players and English players. And now they're linked with like Mario Mandzukic. So, like, well, what yeah. are you doing, guys? Well, they need to strike. I mean, they're very young up top, ultimately. Uh,
1: but this isn't. Yeah, this that's isn't. That's the, we're, we're on, on, the, we're on the wrong idea. Yeah. But I mean, good to see Kovac back that seven-two win up uh, against Spurs, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, really, really took advantage of you know, yeah. sort of everyone saying, oh, maybe Kovac has actually figured things out. Maybe yeah. you know, with oh, the that's, that's with the good. guys who've been brought on board and imposed on him in the coaching staff, you know, Kovac is going to really kind of romp on now. And instead, they lose to a uh, Hoffenheim to that have been. Pretty terrible since Julian Nagelsmann left, you know, because Nagelsmann kind of pushed, really kind of elevated them beyond, uh, you know, what I think they're capable of, made them bigger than some of their parts. And uh,
3: yeah, bravo, Kovac. I feel sorry Keep for it him. it coming. Because I just imagined him when when um, Hoffenheim scored that goal 10 minutes from time, which essentially was the winner. Yeah. Um, I could just imagine him looking up at where the president and the chief executive were sitting and them just shaking their head at him. <laughs> like a dis- like disappointed fathers, he, Kovac has got about forty-five disappointed fathers at by me, you know, yeah. wherever he goes. Yeah. It
1: really was just exceptional finishing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. Yeah, exactly.
2: But it was, and this is this has been buying on the Kovac, right? Because they've got such, they still have some great individual talents. Yeah, yeah, enough to blow away most teams in the Bundesliga most games. But they haven't looked like a good team. With the emphasis on team, really. Mm. Since well the question, been there.
3: the question to be asked whenever you question a, a manager at that level is: Would a n other get a better set of results and consistent performances against the players they've got? And the play sometimes I mean, you look at. I was at the game at, um, at Spurs, and the team that Bayern put out, you think, oh, that's a good team." That, and and you wonder whether they should be romping the Bundesliga with that kind of team.
1: Yeah. You'd bought a ticket for the Spurs because you wanted to be the next Spurs manager. Is that what what you're saying? (laughs) Show my face.
3: (laughs) Picture there. Look more in stands. James, I I enjoy the game and if I get pictures on the big screen, so be it. Would would my face fit in North London, Lars? Doesn't it always? Not really. Don't feel like it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, But on a serious note, the criticism of Kovac is not just like the results, but it's also surely having been there as long as he has comparatively for you'd expect them to have some sort of clear identity now you'd, you'd expect for them to be able to say okay this is it's a, neat, it's a Kovac team they play this and this and that way and they're good at this and this and this and they, that he'll have shaped them in some sort of way and I realise this is a lot harder to do in big clubs where you're not always in charge of the transfers and you can't work with well, what you have not whatever but I, I think it's really hard to say like what, what is the style of this team really? well, and what, and the what, reason, what, how do they play football I, thought, they I, think
3: the re- I think the reason for that last is because if you look at the club he came from the profile of club he came from they had a very sort of clear identity they played football in a certain way and of course he achieved success by doing that and I think I'm right in saying and you guys will tell me if I'm wrong it was kind of a reactive way of playing right it was like a counter-attacking kind of quite
2: attritional yeah
3: but when you're you're Bayern Munich of course you can't do that you can't play in that way you're probably going to get a couple of games a season if you're lucky in Europe, where you can get away with playing like that, maybe if you go to the Bernabeu or you go to Juventus or whatever, you might get away with playing that way. So he can't set his team up like that to play like that consistently. And if his the if, if style of how he likes to play football doesn't fit like that, those players aren't going to have it anywhere, are they? They're not going to say, well, I'm not going to sit here and wait for the game to happen to me. I'm playing for Bayern Munich, for God's sake. So in, in retrospect, and I'm sure you guys said it at the time, in retrospect, it looks like a quite an odd appointment.
1: Yeah, but I think it also reflected um, what was available at the time. I, I think it also uh, highlights the kind of dysfunctionality at uh, Bayern Munich in terms of you have Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Hurness, um basically wanting different things and there being a power struggle, which is ultimately going to come to an end because Hernes isn't going to stand for the presidency again. We're going to see Oliver Kahn come in. Um, very measured, um, composed, doesn't, you know, sort of get very angry very easily kind of man. Um, and I think maybe we'll start to see a bit more clarity with Bayern because ultimately uh, we'll get to this when we talk about Italy, but managers can win games, but not convince and Bayern expect a lot more. Um, you yeah, know, they've... They've won titles without playing the best football. I think in Germany for the last few years, they've won it on sheer by dint of having more play, more talented players than anybody else. Who can win games with with their moments rather than actually be convincing from kick off to final whistle. Um, and you know, maybe um, you know we'll get to uh, get to a point in the in the summer where they look at it and think actually. Remember what it was like under Guardiola. Remember how sophisticated we we, we looked. Mm. Yeah, can we find a manager who is more at the cutting edge of the game um, than than Niko Kovacic's?
3: And they've won seven titles in a row. <laughs> bring on
1: bring on the Super League!
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James, um, Marco Giampaolo managed uh, 15 minutes as Milan manager. Um, Stefano Pioli's come in <clears throat> to replace him, despite them winning against Genoa and quite a dramatic game. Um, yeah. But St- Stefano Pioli becomes Milan's 11th coach in, I think, 10 years. Um, wh- what do you make of this? I, mean, I know you were kind of, I don't know if confused is the right word, but you were you were very sort of circumspect about him being the manager in the first place
1: I mean I like Gianpaolo I think he's a good manager I can see why they appointed him because uh, when you are not in the Champions League when you do not own your own stadium then how do you make money as a club to be competitive it's by buying low and selling high and he did that very well at Sampdoria um, because that was the model there Um, and if you look at the recruitment that Milan did in the summer um, they signed two players who were 25 everyone else was under that age um, the six players that they signed Um, and in some respects, I don't think he was helped um, by the the board at Milan, um, which again you mentioned the turnover, Luke. You know we've had Berlusconi uh, be the owner and Galliani be his chief executive sporting director. Um, you then had Lee Yong Hong come in um, and have his own chief executive and sporting director. Um, he then defaulted on his debt, and then you had Elliot basically repossess the club save it from insolvency, which is something that even Gazidis, the new chief executive, said when presenting Stefano Pioli on, on Wednesday that the risk here was that Milan were gonna go bust and have to start again in the fifth tier non-league. Um and and there's been so much change um that I think it's it's very hard for them to uh find an identity straight away and I think they're they've got a hell of a lot of work to do, which they are. You know, I think they are, they have taken steps to get Milan on the road back. I think they are in the right hands at the moment in terms of uh, the ownership. Paolo Maldini, who rejected the opportunity to work post retirement with Berlusconi and Galliani, with Lee Yong Han chose to work with Elliot because he believes they are credible. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, for for Gian Paolo, it's one of those things where. Uh, and I wrote a piece about this for for ESPN. I remember when they appointed Allegri. They said what they liked about Allegri was he had the physique du rôle. Mm. Right? He had the kind of the the ability to stand tall, um, not listen to the noise, and uh, basically be able to manage under pressure—an mm. expectation that a big club like Milan comes with, regardless of what their circumstances are. And gianpaolo I think, started to look like a rabbit in the headlights. Um, and he's a talented manager. And uh, uh,
3: seven games, though, James. Is it too, not too early to judge with that? Se- seven games, and he, he won three of them. Sure, but I mean, you're talking about rabbit in the headlights. To me, it feels like an odd time to to say that about a manager who's been there for such a short amount of time. I, I, you give him a chance to because because he could he could he could understandably feel like a rabbit in the headlights if he's only been there ten minutes. It might take him a while to push through it. I just think that old adage about if, if I hire you yeah. and I fire you after seven years, right. then it's your fault. If I hire you and fire you after seven minutes, it's my fault. Yeah, Because he's but the wrong guy. They,
1: they held their hands up and said, right, this is our fault. Did he get a payoff, old Marco? Uh, well, I don't think he'll be being paid off. I think he'll be being paid, as is what happens. It's not Isle all bad. Where, yeah. Until he gets a new job. Um, they'll keep just him keep on the paying, payroll. Yeah, sure. Um, it's got to
2: be a dream situation, like being sacked from an Italian club. Like well, you still get paid, you can just hang around in Italy and get paid yeah. and not do anything.
1: I think this happens at every club in in top flight
3: football because well, they're not going to chuck up the some of them because they can just pay it monthly and because, then and then if they get exactly. another
1: job, you don't have to. Pay yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, pay them exactly. But um, I think uh, they held their hands up because they said, "Look, you know, we didn't really make it easy for you. We've given you a load of kids." were unproven essentially and we want you to develop them make them better we've we made he made this squad too young mm. um, and when we went about our recruitment um, ultimately uh, we were late in starting it because Leonardo left Reno Gattuso left as well remember the manager who was yeah. there last year why did they leave because they had a difference of opinion on vision and strategy that the club was about to go uh, adopt in that Mm. summer they were also in negotiations with UEFA remember for a long time over the summer over their status in European football they
3: decided to take Thursdays off didn't they?
1: yes they were excluded from the Europa League but that took a long time for actually to, to be ratified remember Torino were basically told at the beginning of July um, oh by the way you might be playing European football this year you might you might want to ask your players to come back early so that means recruitment starts late some of the players they signed were playing African Cup of Nations all the way like Ismail Ben Asser, for example um, so don't get to play pre-season have to have a break and I think all of those things didn't really help Marco Giampaolo um, but um, as you, your, as to your point Luke about seven games is it too quick to judge a manager on I think again this reflects the economic circumstances and uh, of the and the football landscape of 2019. That club like Milan, who has not been in the Champions League for six years, cannot afford another year where they fall out of that. So they've taken decisive action early because they don't want this to drift. There are still 31 games left. There are only four points from the the Champions League places, and there's the hope that they that they can turn this around. The issue is that people are saying, "Hang on a minute." You've sacked Marco Giampaolo to to appoint Stefano Pioli. Isn't that essentially just a sideways move? Yeah. If you're going to sack him, shouldn't you be sacking him for someone who has is has a track record as almost a guarantor of Champions League qualification? Or well, Max Allegri. Maybe. Well, I think they were never going to be able to entice Allegri out of his sabbatical on, on the basis that he, he, he'll... I think he wants to work abroad in his next uh, in his next job. I think he wants to work in England, um, and also uh, any top manager in the world right now is going to look at Milan and say that's a hell of a job.
3: James, can I, can I can ask you another question or two? I just, can I, Can I go deep on Milan because this, this is this is a te- this is a team who so for, deep,
2: for, so deep for people Don't of age... make Milan great again. <laughs> uh, <really. laughs>
3: for people of my age, Red it's hats. a team that's synonymous with. With Gazzetta Football Italia, with this, yeah. this success, and it perhaps goes a bit understated that they've won one league title in 15 years, I think now, and it's because they won one under Allegri in 2011, and then the last time they won it, I think it was Ancelotti. in like 04 under Ancelotti. So, is there something particular about that club or that area that 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 means that it's it's just been constant chaos? Because I know Allegri kind of delivered them. A little bit of stability, but of course he was eventually sacked as well after a, halfway through a season because they didn't do very well. And um, that aside, it has been absolutely ridiculous. I mean, some of the managers I've seen when I looked in the list earlier, pre- preparing for the show today, you forget they even did it. Like Christian Brocchi, I completely forgot was a manager. In there. Hey,
1: Brocchi's back working with uh, with the Silvio Berlusconi and Gagliani at Seidolf. Monza.
3: Seidolf was there for twenty odd games. Yeah, I mean what are the fans thinking about this what what's happened to Milan to take them off this pedestal
1: well a lot of things um berlusconi ultimately yeah he loves um uh, ac milan um i don't think he ever would have wanted to sell it and i think he held on for too long even though his uh, his eldest daughter who kind of runs uh the company um basically said yeah, this is burning a hole in our pockets every year. You know, we're, we're having to shell out 100 million, 150 million basically to keep this thing afloat. Dad, sell it, please. Yeah. He held on for it to too, for too long.
3: Again, it's like succession. Sorry, <laughs> you, i do
1: There was don't, a, No, th- it might be. Th- th- there was <laughs> a I'll power. find out. There was a power struggle within in that um, uh, there was dissent. From the outside, from Paolo Maldini, about how the club was being run. Because of these losses, they were cost-cutting. doing a lot of free transfers, a lot of loans, of players who were over the hill, who had high profile... But, you know, I'm talking about people like Jeremy Menez, Philippe Mexes... But all does these that companies. explain
3: such a big fall from grace?
1: Well, yeah, but I think, ultimately, they've cost-cut. The team got worse. Um, uh, Allegri, um, after... Uh, For example, winning the league title, they sold Zlatan, they sold Thiago Silva, uh, and then he kept them honest. He kept them in the Champions League and overachieved, really. And Berlusconi was like, we should be still competing for the league title. Why are we we only scraping into the Champions League? It's like, well, you keep cost-cutting. You've basically imposed austerity on Milan. They then sell, um, uh, or they attempt to sell, say they're about to sell it to this guy called B. Taishabol. They go on a big spending spree before the takeover is complete. The takeover then doesn't happen, which leaves them in a real kind of bind. They then sell the club, but they sell the club to the wrong guy, Lee Yong Hong. No one knows who, where his money's from. They still don't know. He spends hundred uh, more than 100 million that summer, doesn't have the money, which is why they're now out of Europe. So they've gone from an owner who cared about the club too much and held on too long to thinking it sold the club and had sold the club to selling the club to the wrong person and and the, that person then putting this club in a yeah, real risk of insolvency and going bust, mm. and uh, and now I think they're in the right hands, but they're it's a long way back. In some respects, as Gazidis said on on Wednesday, they are lucky to still be solvent. They are lucky to still be in Serie. And uh, yeah, while it feels dire at the moment, and they haven't been in the Champions League since twenty fourteen, for and this is a club as you mentioned. Has only won what one league title in fifteen years. Mm. That was what he said. Mm. This is this is a team that has always built its reputation, specifically from Barcelona, and its popularity throughout the world on winning the Champions League. i have won it seven times. Only Real Madrid have won the the Champions League more, mm. um, and and they're out of that competition, and they haven't had access to that competition's wealth for a long time. Which again, the it's not like it's like a downward spiral, basically. Uh, and 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 the thing is with you can draw comparisons with Man United, but Man United have at least had a commercial operation which is light years ahead of more or less any any other team aside from you know Barcelona and Real Madrid for, for a long time. They play in the Premier League, so y- y- United get rewarded for failing by virtue of their their geographic location. In that, it doesn't matter because the Premier League will guarantee them. Yeah, you know, the bottom the, the team that finishes bottom in the Premier League st- will make more money from TV than the top club in Serie A every year. So they they get rewarded. So it, again you look at the, all while that you have all these similar situations occurring Milan not being in the Champions League playing in a poorer league where they they, they can't rely on a big TV check like United do um, yeah haven't haven't tapped into the commercial potential of the club for so long means that they're in a much they're in a similar position but it's it's, it's at the same time a much more difficult situation for them to get out of
2: but I think you mentioned Man United. I think maybe a more accurate, uh, or even more apt comparison is is sort of Liverpool pre Jurgen Klopp, or certainly pre FSG, because Man United still have money, whereas Milan's big problem is that they still have the big name and the big fan base and all the pressures that comes with that and the prestige, but they don't actually have the money to put a team onto the pitch that's that's worthy of all of those things, and then that becomes like a. It becomes a, a spiral, like you say, because Paolo rabbit in the headlights and all this sort of thing. Cause it's really hard to live up to the name of Milan. But if you look at the team on the pitch, they're not that good, and they can't afford to sign players. that are, yeah, old, are, are but that last
1: good. last they, they spent. The, uh, uh, they had well, this is the highest in net couple spend years, yeah, yeah. in in this summer, and, and and then two two years ago under under
2: this uh, Lee Yong Hong, they spent 150 million. Well, that was lamentable. Uh, but they have an interesting. If You look at the squad; it's an interesting mix of players who, at some point, were considered to be very promising. You know, almost all of them are players who have been sort of the name de jour in European football at some point. Yeah, no, they've got some. They've
1: got some talent in that squad. I, I, I think. I mean, Donnarumma is is a very, very good goalkeeper. Leal, who they signed from Leo this summer. And this was, again, one of the reasons why Gianpaolo got the chop. It's like, put more faith in this player. He
2: is showing some real, real potential. W- was that not a great example of a substitution that while it was a good substitution, it still made the coach look bad? Because when, yeah, when he absolutely. came on at halftime against Genoa, yes, he was good and helped them turn the game. But he, was so, but he was so again. good. He was so much better than uh, Piatek. That you just have to... What, why on earth is he not starting? Careful, really
3: careful, Piontek. Hornsore right. loves a bit of Piontek. No, I
2: dumped him. Oh, he does?
3: He's, done, he's done. Yeah, not I very d- good. I
2: dumped him, yeah. It's not so good sort at of f- end of last season. If I you're listening, if
3: Piontek, if you're listening, are you okay, hon? Yeah. Are you it, okay?
2: It's worth, I mean, just the general game, it's worth mentioning how it played out because you had this wild sort of... Genoa take the lead by a free kick from from uh, Norse legend La, La yeah Yeah. Uh, J- <laughs> Jamie should look like Lashona. Who, who hits a free kick from Mars, basically, that Pepe Reyna contrives to, to let in. And Milan bring it back. Then Reyna concedes a penalty right at the death, which is taken by La Sishona, which Reyna then saves. Yeah. What an amazing drama. And you have throughout the game also a player from each bench being sent off. Well, Great stuff. I, I mean this is why Gianpaolo got the chop. He, I mean he
1: he said after the game off with this win maybe I bought myself a bit more time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and the, and the fact is About that, 10 for, that for for the <laughs> they go behind Reina makes a howler. I mean he's an absolute howler. Mm. Um and you could see the team was scared. They were awful for 45 minutes. He makes a double change at half time, which is last said makes him look bad because why are these players not in the team? Pakita is involved in the first goal, Leao is is involved in the second goal. Um, and then again, after that 15 minute of bright spot, um, they uh, when they're playing 10, they're 11 11v10, mm-hmm. they panic again, it gets to 10v10. 10 10. And, and Genoa had a real chance to equalise and I, I, I really rate Giampaolo I think he's a very good manager but you could see he was confused confused in his team selections and after the game he was like what do you think of how your players managed the, uh, the 11 v 10 for what the 20 minutes that you had in the second half where you had you know, one more man more than his he's like oh, we didn't have a man advantage they did he have forgotten about the red card bloody hell really okay. so the <laughs> and, job feels like the job was and, a bit and too and a big for him this, 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 this is where football at high, the highest level is Brutal and unforgiving. Hmm. And I, I feel for Giampalo, just as I felt for Piero Gasparini, who lasted uh a, a even shorter spell into Milan. I think it was five games that he was in charge there. Gasparini is a great coach. And we're seeing that with Atalanta. Hmm. Um, where you know he's got them into the Champions League, third place. This is their best start to this season, not in the Champions League, but <laughs> this best start to their season since the 60s. He's a he's a top-class coach. And I'm I'm sure. Gianpaulo will show that again, um, but it's interesting how these two guys have basically gone to one of the Milanese clubs, who are, I'd say, you know, into a now very well run, but were when when Gasparini took charge, not very well run. Milan are still getting to grips with what has been a terrible situation. I think mm. they're on the right path, but they're still still getting to grips with it.
3: Can we? Can we, Can I just very quickly, James? Can you just in in a, in a sentence or two, no more than that, tell me if Atalanta can last the distance?
1: Uh, they can, absolutely. Okay, and you think they will? I think they will because they're still scoring so many goals. Um, they're excellent away from home. Um, they moved into the, back into their stadium on, uh, on, on Sunday against Lecce. And it doesn't look at this moment in time that uh, what's happening in the Champions League is affecting their league form. Quite the opposite.
3: And um, we previewed Inter against Juventus last week. And of course, Juventus emerged victorious thanks to a late Gonzalo Higuain goal. What does that say to you guys, to you both, about what's happening in Serie A at the top this season?
2: Well, Juventus still have better players than Inter. It's really interesting that you have a game of this magnitude that's uh, early to say that it's season-defining, but it would have been a significant shot across the bow if they'd have lost Juventus. And the two players who make a big difference are two players who probably weren't supposed to be there, really, yeah. if things had gone to plan. I mean, Dibala was clearly expendable if the money could be raised by selling him. And I think it's fair to say if they had found any viable way of getting Higuain off the wage bill, they would have taken it. But but here they are, and they were decisive. And, I mean, Chelsea play, Chelsea fans might tear their hair out uh, hearing this, but I think it's interesting that he's been quite flexible tactically. Sari uh, setting up in a four-three-one-two sort of diamond midfield type of thing here, which I thought nullified the Inter midfield really well. If you look at this Inter team, they've they've looked pretty strong so far, but it's definitely in the centre of the park where they're strong. So you set up in a diamond, you crowd your own midfield, and you leave them the flanks to attack with Asamoah and D'Ambrosio. That's that's not that's not a good map. That's not where they want to be. So they end up hitting it long to Lukaku a lot, and I like Lukaku more than most, but his older players isn't great so that tactically sorry, almost did a bit of a number on them and it really sort of stopped their midfield from functioning Sensi going off early didn't help them and um, I thought it was a really interesting game and I um and I guess it's it's interesting the the, t- the tactic. I want to mention this because Sari has become like a sort of a a four three three guy. But we forget that he was all about the midfield diamond at at Empoli and try he tried that at first. Correct me if I'm misremembering this, but he tried this at first at Napoli and he wanted to do the, the the midfield diamond thing and it didn't work at all. And the players sort of basically told him, "Can we do something a bit more similar to what we did when Rafa was here?" And he changed it and it all worked out. But this is uh, but it's interesting after uh, after seeing him in England be. Enormously stubborn Tactically And fascinatingly stubborn I thought It was almost endearing At some point uh, To me anyway Maybe not so much To the Chelsea fans (laughs) To a Norwegian He's he's showing real flexibility here And and I, I thought that was A pivotal factor In this game yeah i think he's got a better squad and more options than uh, than
1: chelsea um and you're right he's he's much more flexible than people give him credit for um you know he's always started with one system and changed to another um you know i remember speaking to a guy who'd worked with him back in the uh, the amateur days who said sarri at that time was absolutely obsessed with 4231 mm. um he didn't want to hear anything else he only wanted to play that way I thought this was a real statement from Sadi um, because uh, even though he's kind of played an expectation management game of saying you know, don't expect my team to play as well as my Napoli team, we've got different players with different builds, different skill sets. They played, um, uh, you know, what social media would call Sari ball on uh, on Sunday night, and they played it very well. The second goal, for example, mm-hmm. twenty four passes in the build up. Total Sari. <laughs> um, some some magnificent um, uh, football. Um, and also, I think he sent a message um, in the uh, sort of after an hour where he was like, "Right, you know what we're going to do? Going to play Higuain, Ronaldo, and DiBala all together." And okay, I mean that next ten minutes then coincided with Inter kind of getting back into the game that was that that they'd kind of disappeared from, and he had to correct that. But I think that was a real kind of statement of intent, um, a show of force. Um I don't think Inter played badly. I thought um Inter competed very well, kept going. They fought right until the end. I think sensi going off was a real problem for them because all of a sudden they they lost fluidity, they lost their ability to get between the lines and uh you know, you're spot on about Lukaku I think Inter played much better this season when it's been Lautaro Martinez
3: up front with Alexis. Is Lautaro uh, the new goal by James? I yes. think he is, isn't he? He is, yeah. He got rid of Piontek, you have You're to replace right. him with someone. I do talk about him a hell of a lot. Yeah. It's Lautaro um, Martinez, isn't it?
1: Yeah, he's, I, I'm he's good. All about El Toro.
3: All right, finally, before we go, last will Norway beat Spain this weekend. Oh that's a big no. Hard no, is uh, it? Hard no.
2: A hard, hard and fast Even stuff. with Haaland, is he, is he well, fit? He's got a hip injury, so he's not coming. Uh, and yeah. he even had, I mean, he, in, in the build up to the Liverpool game, he was struggling with a bit of illness. He was in the hospital a little bit, actually, there, so he wasn't fully fit for that game. Mm. And, and now he has a hip complaint, apparently, so he's going to sit this one out.
3: And uh, will Denmark beat Switzerland? You can just be a Scandinavian guy if you want. <laughs> will, Denmark, will Denmark beat Switzerland? I'm
2: probably not. No. I mean, I, I mean. I saw them against Georgia in the last international window and that was terrible uh, that, That's uh, I watch a lot of football but that was one of the ones that I genuinely felt I'd wasted my time but I, really I, I, made, the, I, made, I made the wrong yeah. decision watching that game of football the, and I don't often feel that way because <laughs> usually even if it's a bad game you think okay this is useful for work I can, yeah. talk, I can talk about this and so that, that was, was, was so passage. bad yeah. oh
1: my god I, I look forward to international breaks because players on troubled teams tend to go back to their countries and get asked about them and basically give really candid friends. answers yes, yes, and yes, yes, then yes. say I've been mistranslated yeah. so I can't wait to hear what Eriksen yeah, thoughts and wild <laughs> on and Spurs yeah, are at yeah, the yeah. moment
3: yeah. just going back to Norway very quickly Lars mm. if they do beat Spain I know you're saying they won't and you won't even entertain the idea I will not you're a proud Norwegian we get that yes. if they were to beat Spain that would blow that group wide open
2: yeah it would and I guess yeah it's really frustrating because like we had the first we've we played Sweden twice and we had the first one in the bag like we were ahead and should have won and, and we didn't we drew uh, which then meant we kind of needed something from the last Sweden game, and again we drew. But it, this it feels like we've kind of messed this group up a bit because we we were, v- we were very nearly in a very good position, and we're not. Under Lagerbeck, Lagerbeck is doing the Lagerbeck thing. Uh, Norway are becoming at least harder to beat which I think after the sort of ill-fated uh, Per-Matthias Högmour spell Per-Matthias Hogmo, the former manager he's, he's a nice guy and he had some very lofty ideals of how we should play and we should play good football And all. there was one famous quote he said we should uh, attack like Man City and defend like Atletico Madrid or something that just, like, <laughs> there, was some, there was some pretty wild stuff <laughs> but I think he meant this was sort of uh, Pellegrini era or Pellegrino era uh, Man City where the sort of 4-4-2 with wingers coming inside and mm. creating a box and all this sort of stuff like right. he, he meant okay. conce- he meant conceptually yep. but it's still a thing that sounds bonkers when you say it out loud <clears throat> and 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 it just what well, we just didn't have the players to play that well. At least now with Lagerbeck, he was kind of like just makes us really hard to beat. It's a bit sort of hodgepodge really mm. against the Sweden away to Sweden. We started four central midfielders, nice uh, in in the midfield four four you know, centre backs. Well, no, we don't have good centre backs. This is a problem, yeah. so yeah. we couldn't do that. But yeah, four central midfielders with Martin Erdgor in front of them. Uh, so that that Class. was a, that was a pretty wild team. As you know, Fulham's Stefan Johansson playing out wide as a winger. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty. It's
3: One <laughs> of the things that's absolutely staggering about Norway and their international team is if you think of some of the great Norwegian players from down the years they've graced the Premier League I'm Mm. sure they've graced the leagues that you guys are particularly interested in they have won three games in major international tournaments yeah, in their entire it's history. not ideal. Three.
2: We're a pretty small country, you know. Oh, we're, Luke, pretty, we're pretty don't happy. Don't rub it in. Three. We're, we're count don't, we're count go them, James. Happy. Last we're, comes in and you bring that up. We're yeah. pretty happy we've gotten to international tournaments, I'll have you know. We're a very small country. And I think the upside here is that we do have a sort of Nations league fueled playoff thing coming, mm. and by then, I mean, that'll be next summer, won't it? And uh, Odegaard's having a great season. Uh, Brat Holland looks like he's really having a breakthrough year in, in, in European football. So if we can just have the sort of last Lagerbeck, hard to break down thing, and we can have those two in front of it, I mean, that could be quite unpleasant to play against for a lot of teams. With, with Josh King running about as well.
3: Josh King could, could get right up into probably the top five Norwegian scores in the history,
2: probably? Well, he's, he's he's underrated by some, Josh, and then overrated by others. It's very confusing. I quite like a bit of Josh King. And and yeah, front two of Holland and Josh King with with. Uh, Does that not average out as him being rated? Rated, probably, yeah. yeah. But James, with, with With Odegaard but, playing in passes for him. Yeah. I and mean, that could be decent. Odegaard just behind King
3: and Holland is decent.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, also, I, I would... Um, This guy doesn't doesn't get talked about a lot because he plays in Belgium, but Sanderburg. Yeah, very good. He's a very good player. He's very good against Napoli in the Champions League a couple of weeks ago. Um, And yeah, can play what? Base of midfield? Can play as as an eight as well. Uh, Got the kind of physical
2: size. Did you
3: expect him to move on from Genk at some point?
2: Absolutely. And and he's wanted by a lot of people. Very decent players. So, I mean, there is the the beginnings of something there. The tip Uh, of the iceberg. We have an issue at centre half. Uh, where we basically don't have very good players or uh, well, good old uh, Torre Reginius is still uh, like, he's one of those fellows. like his legs are completely made of biscuits so you have to be really careful <laughs> with him uh, but when he plays he's decent if you hadn't if it hadn't for the injuries I think he'd had a really good career abroad he was at Lecce for a little while but yeah. couldn't, couldn't get fit he was at Schalke for a bit and had a bad injury there to be as honest well.
1: if you're going to go and play in Lecce you don't want to be fit you just want to <laughs> be on the beach <laughs> yeah, with some cots. I, yeah.
3: I had this section my earmarked as the international football section yeah. but it's just, I it's I just no yeah.
2: Reginius and helped me medically in one way because I heard an interview with him where he described what it felt like to tear your Achilles because he he he's, again this is a very Toro and thing he did his Achilles just randomly whilst walking around on the pitch Yeah, as you do as a centre half when the ball's up the other end you just kind of walk around to keep the line and just suddenly his Achilles went <laughs> and he saw, and he explained it when your Achilles goes it feels like you've gotten a massive kick to the foot so it feels like someone's kicked you and then you look around and there's no one there and you're a little bit confused and he goes ah yeah my, my Achilles is gone and uh, I had something similar. I did well I did my calf muscle uh, running while well, running with the dog. and it, I swear to God it feels like someone's really kicked you in the leg. And I just and I was on my own in the park, and I just—has like, someone kicked me in the park? This is generally even in the mean streets of London, it's very strange for someone to come back and kick you in the park. Well, and I looked around, that? and there was no one there. There, was and I remembered the the the, the tour and injury description, and uh, and and yeah, that 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 was like Gladstone was...
3: Park on Queen. Yes, it was. Yeah, very park, good. Yeah. Very good. Look, Lars lives I, I can Isley. be seen mm. in
2: Gladstone Park walking a massive dog occasionally. Well, OTC OTC I should tell the listeners that
3: OTC fans, if you want to go and speak to Lars. Ask his ask his opinion about something. Yes. Get yourself to Glasdon mm-hmm. Park. It's got a big hill in it. Glasdon Park. I used to yeah, yeah. run shuttle runs up it just, back just in my younger days. Just and kick him in the car It's not far <laughs> from where you live, James. It's not far from where you it's live not, either. No. You both could hang out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a hotbed of European football experts, yeah. Gladstone Park. Cheers, guys. <laughs>
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is out
2: there especially with the recent hacks at some big phone and healthcare companies. But here's where Aura steps in. Aura scans the dark web for your sensitive information and sends real-time alerts. Aura also actively requests that your information be removed from data broker sites, putting you back in control. Aura provides you with a complete online safety toolkit, credit and transaction monitoring, a secure password manager, a privacy-enhancing VPN, Parental
0: controls and more. Try Aura risk-free with the 14-day trial at aura.com/safety. That's a u r a dot
2: safety Rest easy with Aura. Visit auracom dot safety today. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.